Irish Illustrated Insider, Monday, December 14th. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson back with us on Irish Illustrated Insider. Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And we had planned to mainly talk about Clemson today, and there are a bunch of questions in segment two about Clemson, but a little bit of information popped up here uh, this morning. And and it's uh, not a surprise at this point. Clark Lee, Notre Dame's successful defensive coordinator the last Three years is expected to take the Vanderbilt job as head coach. We will talk more about candidates for that job at Notre Dame in segment two uh, when we address the questions. But um, first of all, we let, let's just state this up front, uh, although I do think that's one of the questions in the second half. But we do believe that he will stick around as long as Notre Dame is in the playoff picture. Um, so that would mean um, – you know, win or lose, Notre Dame's in the playoffs, and he would stick around for the first game. If that first game is uh, unsuccessful, then he'll head out to Vanderbilt. Otherwise, we expect him to be around for Notre Dame playing into the national championship game on January 11th. Guys, your thoughts on, um, I don't know, just Clark Lee, him choosing Vanderbilt? Uh, I think we're all impressed with the with the person and the coach. A lot of people disagree with him choosing Vanderbilt, but, you know, you got to be in his, his shoes. He's from Nashville. Uh, he's a graduate of Vanderbilt. He doesn't have to win the he doesn't have to win the SEC in Vanderbilt to use that job as a as a stepping stone to, to something better. Well, I mean, it's like let's look at Brian Kelly assistants at Notre Dame and the jobs that they've gotten um, to be head coaches. We're talking about Connecticut, Miami of Ohio, UMass, Western Kentucky. Um, this is the SEC. I don't you know. It's like doesn't really matter that it's Vanderbilt. You're getting a power five head coaching job as a coordinator. That that's really hard to do. Um, I have as impressive as Clark Lee is. I think that his fit at programs is pretty limited uh, in the sense that he needs to be at a school that pays more than just a passing um, respect to academics. And so that limits you to sort of Northwestern Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, Duke, Wake Forest, Stanford, schools of that group. And the fact that this is his alma mater in his hometown, also Nashville, fine place to live. Um, it, it just, too, it's too good to turn down. Um, I don't, I don't, I think the, why would you leave Notre Dame for Vanderbilt? Like is just completely misses the point um, in terms of what it takes to be a head coach in 2020. You cannot leave Notre Dame for Vanderbilt unless you're Clark Lee, and it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah, if somebody else left Notre Dame for Vanderbilt, you'd be like, ah, what are you doing here? Well, here's what I say. <laughs> it's, if, it's so much if, different for him. If it's there so was a report today that Clark Lee was about to be named the new head coach at Arizona, I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah, that, uh, that as well. But if he was not a Vanderbilt alum, I'd be yeah. surprised at what he was doing as well, with all with all the good reasons. But, no, he's – look, you, you might have gotten an extra year out of Clark Lee, honestly. He, he could have been – he could have been Boston College's head coach uh, as opposed to um, Halfley if he had maybe one more year of coordinating under his belt for Notre Dame. Had he been coming off this year instead of an 11 and 2 with one pockmark on it in Michigan, maybe he would have won that job. You know, if he was auditioning against Halfley this year, he could have gotten that job. It's, he is a, and there's another place he would fit, Boston College. Mm-hmm. Fits, Pete. Um, if he was going to leave at some point because Brian Kelly's very successful and he's not about to leave in the next couple of years, right? So this is, if you want Clark Lee at Notre Dame, it's the one thing we've said. It is probably the best case scenario to get Notre Dame to get Notre Dame to one day hire Clark Lee as, as its head football coach, because then Notre Dame will be a step up from Vanderbilt if he can build Vanderbilt into the James Franklin era of Vanderbilt. I was just going to say, Tim, that I'm sure there were a lot of people saying, what is James Franklin doing taking the Vanderbilt job? Well, he's taking it so it will propel him. Right to the Penn state job uh, in, in the big 10. And not, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure Clark Lee doesn't have one foot out the door. It is his hometown no, and no. his alma mater. So he's going to look at this as a quote, stepping stone in a different manner than a lot of other people would. Um, but yeah, if you want Clark, we Clark Lee to be the head coach at Notre Dame someday. And I, based upon what we know about Clark Lee, I think that that would be a pretty fine choice down the road someday. Then this was inevitable. This was, this had to happen. The concern is how does this impact Notre Dame in their opportunity to make the playoffs and, and contend for, for a national title? And from a Notre Dame fan perspective, I certainly understand that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it doesn't 
It doesn't help. That's for sure. <laughs> that's why it's saying I mean, it actually. It doesn't help. There's no, it's yeah. not, there's no positive to this if you're, if you're, if you're Notre Dame. Um, so that's, that's just the reality you have to deal with. But I mean, this is it's college football in 2020, man. Like coordinators leave all the time. Assistants leave all the time. Sometimes yeah, well, timing's not great. Welcome to, uh, well, Tommy Reese is not that far away from, from leaving as well, uh, as well, but, uh, you know, welcome to Nick Saban's world that he deals with every single year of his life in Alabama. He's losing guys to not, not to Miami of Ohio and Connecticut either. Right. Yeah. It's like LSU last year, Dave Aranda goes to Baylor and, um, I'm blanking on uh, Joe Brady goes to the NFL like that. Yeah. It's, well, you know, you know, you're, you know, you're a program that's being successful when, when they start, you know, plucking your, your coordinates yeah. away from you. Even before we started talking here, I just made the comment, well, we're Lance Taylor's next. And Pete's kind of like, what? I was like, oh, I'm just saying good, good coordinators when they go 10 and 0 and 21 and two, they go, right? I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> that, this is what happens. Yeah. All right. More talk on uh, Clark Lee and the potential replacements for him in our second segment, but I do want to talk about Clemson and I do want to talk about uh, Brian Kelly talking about Zeke Corral and Josh Lugg yesterday, made it sound like they were both healthy. Spoke mainly about uh, Corral coming back from that high ankle sprain because Notre Dame's not admitting to any, any real injuries with Lugg, although Brian Kelly did mention that he had a hand injury after the, the Syracuse game. But uh, he said that Corral is near 100%. I've heard information contrary to that. You know, Tim, though, his near 100%, I think he always has used this, and I keep forgetting to bring it up, is he is 100% cleared for everything in practice. Well, right, and he has absolutely no – Yeah, he has (laughs) no reason to be completely forthright about the center position going into this game. I mean, this is one of those those times where he's entitled to lie about (laughs) what – what the situation is at center because you don't want, uh, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't want Clemson zeroing in on which of the two guys will play center. I, I'm still going to say, I think it's Josh Lug, And I think we're all in agreement that Zeke Corral played very well against North Carolina, but a high ankle sprain is very difficult to overcome. He limped his way through the North Carolina game and I, in the second half. And I thought played pretty well. I just think at the end of the day, all things being equal that, they're going to choose the bigger body with more experience in the middle of that offensive line. He's a bigger body. I guess I, I'm more playing I, experience. Yeah. I just don't think the experience has, is going to carry the day. Yeah. I think if Zeke Corral was healthy, Zeke Corral would start, you know, it, so it's like, it's, I guess I would look at it as if all things are equal, I would go with Zeke Corral, but your ankle makes you think that it's probably not all yeah. things are equal. And I, and I would agree with that. I just don't think, I just don't think that that ultimately is Nordame's thinking in this matter. Yeah, I feel like I'd be guessing now because I really know for a fact it's Josh Lugg's third best position and it's Zeke Curl's best position. I'm just not sure how that translates to a one-game scenario against a better defensive tackle than Jarrett Patterson had to face. It's You are trading out a strength for a relative weakness and losing a weakness for a strength on the other side. And that, I don't know who you, maybe that it, maybe that does go for experience, Tim. Um, Either no, way. It's, you know, it depends on hundred percent means. Is, is he really, can he really yeah. go out there and, and block Tyler Davis? That's what it comes yeah, to. Yeah. Either way with Tyler Davis, this, it doesn't matter wh- which you choose. You're going to be at a deficit against this guy. They're going to have to double team. They're going to have to double team Tyler Davis, which Virginia tech did with some success. Uh, but you know, success against Clemson can be very fleeting. And it was last Saturday um, or the previous Saturday. Everything's kind of running together here now. James, Scal- you know, James Skalski, when I saw that he wasn't dressed for the second half of Virginia Tech, I thought that, you know, that meant that he was re-injured. It sounds like that was more of a precautionary thing, probably because he would have been itching to get back into the game. And, and they knew that ultimately that wasn't going to be uh, necessary to beat Virginia Tech. Uh, although. You know, uh, Trevor Lawrence threw an interception in the end zone when the game was 17 to 10, I think, yeah, at that point. And then Virginia Tech fumbled it back and all hell broke loose. Virginia Tech had a Hail Mary land at the one, right? Yeah, they had that right, yeah, right before the end of half. I mean, that was at the one quarter yard line, 
those are the things uh, that Virginia Tech has to have both go in their favor to press Clemson. Yep. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. So Trevor Lawrence back, Tyler Davis back, James Skalski expected back. Uh, Mike Jones Jr. did was back and played against Virginia Tech. It's, you know, I think a lot of a lot of the reason why we ended up picking Notre Dame over Clemson in the first place was those four names right there, knowing they weren't going to participate. That's part of it. I mean, also, you know, Notre Dame was playing in South Bend, and I, I realize it wasn't eighty thousand, but it wasn't a split crowd of five thousand either. Um, yeah. So that's there was there was a lot, a lot of things lined up for Notre Dame on November seventh, and they won the game in double overtime. I have to admit, I was picking Notre Dame all year, all the way through, no matter what, but those guys being out made it impossible for me to get cold feet <laughs> that week because all of a sudden it, it made a lot more sense. And I thought the line could have come down even more if people right. really thought about Trevor Lawrence and Tyler Davis and very healthy Notre Dame. I'm not sure how many, I mean, the, the really smart people are know that Jarrett Patterson's out. It, it's a big deal. It, it just wasn't as big of a deal when you have to go navigate the teams that aren't Clemson. But everybody else, the rest of the way, is a big deal about losing Jarrett Patterson. You know, I, I got a kick out of it. Uh, we did meet with Brian Kelly with the with the national media uh, last night, and I had to get a kick out of him being asked. We mentioned this in our instant analysis afterwards, but uh, him being asked about, you know, do you think you think you're in the playoffs if you lose, and have you talked to your players about this? Uh, and it's always interesting to see the dichotomy in in the frame of mind between. I'll, I'll put media and fans on one side and coaches and players on the other side um, because he laughed it off. He hasn't talked to his team about if they'll make the, the that they'll make the playoffs or not make the playoffs if they lose because a, a coach and, and, and a team, you know, privately, I mean, guys sitting around thinking themselves or talking amongst themselves. I'm sure that's a conversation, but certainly a coaching staff is not going to broach that that topic with, with a football team, when you're playing a team of the magnitude of Clemson, you can't have any doubt that you're going to win the rematch. It's like showing your team film of the 93 Boston college game after beating <laughs> Clemson. Like what, why are you even asking about this? You know, I, I thought it was interesting that Dabo Swinney was sort of lobbying to make it at nine and two um, last night when he talked about, Hey, Notre Dame what? And- Clemson are two of the four best teams, regardless of what happens in Charlotte. He lobbies for everything. Yeah. But it's, I mean, talking to people who cover Clemson, they were like, huh, that's a little weird. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do that, but it's probably because he never has to. And this is, well, it's all, this it's is the first time he has to actually convince someone Clemson right. is really good. He right. has a, he has a decent argument. Um, if like A&M were to lose and you just say Ohio state squeaks by Northwestern and wins six games, you could be like, really? Yeah. Notre Dame beat us twice by a field goal and a touchdown and double overtime. And we're not one of the four best teams. Like I think people, I think he, he would for the first time ever have an argument, whether you can validate that or not with undefeated Cincinnati, or he would at least he's laying the groundwork because what if you do come down to Clemson loses twice to Notre Dame in the last play of the game or Cincinnati and Cincinnati beats Tulsa 26, 25. I mean, (laughs) who's the better team? Like, I know you're saying the results have to matter, Tim, but okay, well, Cincinnati loses. Cincinnati can lose, right? They're not infallible. There's only only one team that can't lose this weekend. Pete? Yeah, it's not, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Devonta Smith is playing receiver for them. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, this, this matchup is, I, I mean, rematches are awful. It's a neutral site. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I wow. No, no, no. I, I'm going to, what I'm going to say is I, I, I don't care what Dabble Sweeney says. You can't lose twice and, and get in the no, I, know. He's, I, he I realize this is unique. he could lay an argument this year because Ohio state is playing six games. That's I think that's his point. I get that. And I get that. We have a question on that. Who would you in second segment, who would you pick? Well, if you're asking me as a member of the college football playoff committee, I know who I would pick because they're biased. They're, they're going to be biased in, in making that pick towards the power power five conferences. So, you know, who we would pick on the outside, that's completely different. But I, I, you know, I don't buy Clemson, whatever. We'll let that play out. We'll see. I think it's going to be very difficult. We all agree. It's going to be very difficult for Notre Dame to win the rematch uh, after the dramatic win at Notre Dame stadium a few weeks ago. We will, but we have signing day coming up on Wednesday. One of two. 
Mm. One of two, yeah. Um, I think that'll be fairly anticlimactic. The decision by Clark Lee could very well impact. Could very well impact a player or two, maybe a rover prospect out of Tennessee or somebody like somebody like that. That would be that would be awful. But uh, anyway, that's for another discussion. We'll be back. Segment two: Burning up the boards. Today's Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast is sponsored by ShelbySweats.com. Shelby at Shelby underscore sweats on Instagram is a certified personal trainer and online fitness and health coach. Shelby offers one-on-one coaching to provide her clients with custom fitness and health plans at work. Shelby uses her own 60-pound weight loss journey to help clients look and feel their best without over-exercising or restriction. Her fitness methodology combines strength training, cardio, yoga, boxing, and functional movement and flexibility. For a free 30-minute video chat consultation with Shelby, fill out a form on her site, shelbysweats.com, or an email to shelbysweatstraining at gmail.com. Burning up the boards is segment two of Ivers Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Chad Flanagan. Last time Notre Dame played Clemson, they sold out against the run and conceded the passing game against a freshman quarterback. After seeing Travis Etienne's performance this year and their offensive line's lack of dominance, you think Notre Dame can afford to play a bit more coverage and keep the safeties deep on first down and let the front seven contain the run? I mean, they're going to have to change something up because you can't just go into the into the rematch with Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence and think that everything's going to be fine. But uh, if they don't stop Travis Etienne, there's just too many leaks, and Trevor Lawrence will – Trevor Lawrence won't need to throw for 439 yards. He'll throw for 315 and miss three passes. That's the problem. If Travis Etienne is not contained, Trevor Lawrence will have a field day. So you've got to contain him. You absolutely have to contain Travis Etienne. And that's not 28 yards. That's 70 yards. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Notre Dame can commit to stopping the run without committing all caps, italicized, bold, stopping the run. Like I, I don't, I'm not criticizing the game plan the first time around, but like, I think when you look back, when you look back at it, you're Notre Dame, you'd be like, we kind of overdid it with the committing to stopping the run. Like you'd be a little bit more balanced in that way. Um, and you're going to, cause one, you have to, cause of Trevor Lawrence, but two, you, I mean, look at Travis Etienne and every other game Clemson has played. He just like, he's having a hard time finding places to run. This year. Yeah. He hasn't had over 60 yards in the last two games, not, not combined, but in one okay. game what was like October 10th was yeah, his last 100 yard game. I think. Yeah. I mean, they don't run block. Well, they pass block well, but they don't run block well. So it's, I think it's a good question because I think you know, they committed ATN. It was so valuable in the passing game to them though. I think they committed to stopping that too, when they committed to stopping the run with an extra guy up and Kyle Hamilton yeah. going up, you know, that that's kind of how I look at that. It was, it was a commitment to ATN more than the run. Maybe is that fair to say? Yeah, just like I, I wouldn't. I look. I guess here's the way I would I would view this is like if you're looking at the box score from last the last game and what Clemson did and what they didn't do. I I think if you're Notre Dame and you said that ETN and Amari Rogers combined for 16 catches for 191 yards like last time, you would take that if you were Notre Dame. Um, you can't have Cornell Powell with six catches right. for 161. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because that that's downfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I I think that you have to pay more attention to the back end of the defense because I've said I've said this for a while now. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is he's going to test that Notre Dame secondary deep early. It's going to happen in the first quarter. It may happen in the first series. Um, you know, they only scored 14, 13 points in the first half in the first game. I think it's going to be very difficult to hold them to that uh, this time around in the first half. So, you know, it's, but at the end of the day, it's a, I mean, it's a balancing act, man. I mean, because Brian Kelly was talking about the other day, you can't let ETN get to the second level. And they didn't, I mean, they, they never let him, they really didn't let him get past the line of scrimmage. And if you allow them to spread you out, spread your yeah. linebackers out and he gets through that first wave, it, it gets pretty dangerous. The, the balancing act is the best point because I, I know ETN doesn't have the run blocking and, and the running game that they used to have, but do you remember the play where, it would look like QB power and they throw it to Travis ATN coming out of the backfield and he catches it at absolutely full speed for 22 yeah. yards. And yeah. if Kyle Hamilton doesn't drill him in the leg, I know Kyle Hamilton's great and he'll be there to drill him in the leg, but that dude is gone and running through everybody else. It's just the guy you can't, he and Rogers, as Pete mentioned, you cannot let them get loose in space. They made guys miss. They made Notre Dame guys miss on a great tackling day. It's just, it's tough if you're going to let him be in part, be a part of it. But to your guys' point, Brian Kelly said, 
we will have to play them differently next time because of the 439 yards. Passing. Yeah, and, and you're not going to hold ETN to 28 yards. I, I'm not sure, sure. You know, if you can, if it can be. Well, basically, basically <laughs> what the what the last of what Pittsburgh and and uh, Virginia Tech held them to in the 58 and 60 some something around oh, yeah. That's something great. around there. Lynn J. Dixon is is running pretty well now. I see. Um, so, That's but it. it's tough. Travis Etienne is averaging seventy five point eight yards per game. Yeah, I think that'd be fine. That would be absolutely that would be absolutely fine. But you have to. You can't say, okay, we did it this way last game. Now we're going to do it this way. You got to have a combination of of two approaches. Denver Maximus on a related note, what does Notre Dame have to do to help out the and protect the back end of the defense outside of Hamilton? The secondary is average at best. Lawrence will test the secondary. The Clemson wideouts made the ND secondary look pedestrian in the first game. Can the Irish get enough pressure with four? I think it's really difficult for them to get pressure with four because I like the way Clemson pass blocks and, and what, what uh, Uyangalele didn't get sacked until overtime until the second overtime. So I'm not real confident Nordin can do that with four men. There's no perfect solution here. I mean, it's just going to be right. it's going to be that much more difficult than than the first time around. I yeah, I agree with that, all of that. It's you know, I you know, I think having already made the move from uh Bracy to Lewis probably helps a little bit. Yeah. You're you're not going to let Bracy play his way out of the lineup. You're just going to start that way. Um so that maybe that's a benefit, but I I agree I agree with what the the question is saying. Like you know, Notre Dame's secondary is is not all world by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they have an all world safety and an all world outside linebacker, but I, you know, I like Nick McLeod a lot. But I think that the other two starters, and certainly the nickel and the dime, are just they're just okay. Yeah, and and you know, Sean Crawford is everybody knows now is susceptible to double moves. He was the first time around, and so he, he has to guard against that. But I, I, you know, I just don't, I don't know that you don't, you don't have a solution for both where you're going to be able to just prevent them from playing deep ball with you and sh- and right. hold ETN to, you know, forty yards. I tell you, um, on on the Crawford note, he made some plays on third down, um, but he gave up plays during the game. He has to make a, he needs to make a big play in this game to offset what he's going to give up. Is how I kind of look at Sean Crawford's day. They're going to get him somewhere along the way with Trevor Lawrence, but he needs to make a Sean Crawford circa 2017 play where he's stripping the ball at the goal line and he's intercepting a pass and taking it like against Florida state when he jumps it. he, cause he has that in him too, but there's so many good athletes out there against him. I feel like when you really spread them out, you can see it that he's just a small corner playing safety back yeah, there and it, it, right. you gotta he's got so he's got to make a well, play that, that. i mean that was the concern from the very beginning when you heard sure. that they were moving him to safety i think it does it also comes down to something that brian kelly said last week i believe it was about you know playmakers have to make plays you have to be fundamentally sound i don't know that it's at this stage having played them and knowing having a really good idea what each side is going to do it's a little bit less about scheme and it just comes down to all right who you know who's got the guts to make a play who's in position yeah to make plays when the game is on the line. Let me ask you guys this. As you start to analyze this game further this week, do you agree with Brian Kelly it's going to be lower scoring? I'm thir- it was 33-33 at, at, in the regulation. Um, yeah, I do. I do think it's going to be lower scoring than 33-33 at the end of regulation. I think it's in that range, but I mean, I guess Pete's saying that 66 points, so it's probably a good point. There'd be lower scoring. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet the over at 66 and a half, yeah. but I know, six, what Tim, I, I know what you're saying though, Tim, that the tenor of the game might not right. be that. Let's put it this way. Notre Dame didn't score an offensive touchdown for 59 minutes in between touchdowns. Yeah, I think I th- like, uh, think about for, that. Right. Forgotten, forgotten in this is the long stretch where they struggled to score until they put together the last scoring drive and regulation with, with Avery Davis. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, the line 61 and a half over under 61 and a half. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm still kind of torn about that. Still kind of torn because as I continue to watch Clemson, both on both sides of ball, offensively and defensively, I, I still think it's going to be hard to prevent both offenses from, from scoring points. I think I'd, I'd sign up for 33 regulation points if you're a Notre Dame fan right now, though. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. If that's I not enough, I would just, take that in a second. Take your chance yeah. on that one. Yeah. I I think they're 
I, I think they're capable of that. Yeah, no, so no, so do I. I'm just saying that's that's a good quality number that Notre Dame can Notre Dame could beat Clemson for sure in regulation if they can score 33 yeah. points. They, yeah. they can they can hold Clemson to 30 yeah. points. Obviously, they're capable of it. Uh, ben Bocklidge, do you expect Notre Dame to win both lines of scrimmage again, given the changes in per- personnel on both sides? I think that Notre Dame's defensive line will win its matchup. Um, and I think that Notre Dame's offensive line probably will win its matchup too, but not at, not in the way that it did the first time around. I agree with that. And I think they have to win it almost the way they did the first time around to win. That's my one. I'm, I'm sticking with that from what I said for three months before the game, that the offensive line has to be the best unit on the field. Well, if they're the second best unit on the field and the defensive line is the best unit on the field, that's allowed too, because I do think the defensive line can win its matchup, the defensive front seven. It's hard for the offensive line. The trade we just talked about, Jarrett Patterson and Tyler Davis flipping into the game, in and out of the game. That's difficult. Yeah. I agree. I, I think Notre Dame's defensive line wins this battle with their offensive line. The problem is, the problem is Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, because he does such a, you know, the, the precision of his throws. I mean, he's like a, he's like a diamond cutter, man. I mean, he's just so precise on so many different throws. And then what he has added to his game really in full force since the playoffs last year, his ability to run, he, he, he plays out his, his, his play action fakes really, really well. And then when he decides to keep off the read option, I mean, he's six, six, he takes three strides and he's 10 yards upfield. <laughs> he really does. He really sells it. I'm really impressed. You know, I stopped, I kind of stopped looking at him uh, as I was analyzing the first game. Cause we knew he wasn't going to play. And so I'm yeah. trying to look at all the other things. Now you go back knowing he's going to play, and it's like, my God, with the addition of the running part of it, it's really, really difficult to stop him now. We are four years removed from the original He's Tall on the uh, podcast previewing a quarterback, Tim. He's Tall matters a lot with this time (laughs) along the way. It does. It's like like the, uh, the guy that I talked about. You swing the bat and you take three strides and you yes, step on yeah, first. That's right. You're it's just the there. Same way. It's the same way when he keeps it off the read option. Tool 1934. Brent Venables will be more aggressive in this game, in my opinion. What will Reese do differently to counter? More formations, more 13 personnel. What? I mean, he loses. He uses. They have more formations and more personnel. They. I don't know how you can use 13 personnel more than you do. I guess you can. I guess you can use it more. Uh, and I thought Venables was pretty. Pretty aggressive the first time around, you know. Maybe some more in the screen game, but remember they devoted Kyron Williams to, yeah, to helping protect Ian Book the last time. So again, no easy answers here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, this is kind of at the crux of the question that I asked Brian Kelly about a you know week and a half ago. Is you know Reese has already played the breaking tendencies card. And that was a good one. He did a very nice job playing that card, but that's not really in the deck a whole lot. So it's more just like, all right, you know what we're going to do. I know what you're going to do. Like, let's just see who's better. Um, You know, and it's still, it's still Brent Venables, who is the best DC in college football going. Yeah. I, I, I still like Reese's ability to make the right calls against him. The problem now is Tyler Davis is on the field. James Skalski's on the field. You know, Mike Jones is on the field. That's where it gets, that's where it gets real complicated because everybody around the Clemson camp believes it. I mean, Skelsky's the, he's the brains of the operation. And then Tyler Davis forces you to, to double team and you can, you know, anybody that gets double teamed, you can beat him, but you, then you have to account for, I love their two freshman defensive ends, Brissy and Murphy, yeah. <laughs> you know, those guys are, those guys are going to be really good. We talk about 2018 line. There's your foundation of the next great Clemson defensive line. See you in 2022. Yeah. Uh, you know, I agree with you, Tim. That, <laughs> if that not sooner. Pretty, I agree that Benables was pretty aggressive last time, with, especially in the second half. And I think you mentioned getting pressure on Lawrence. I think Notre Dame will, but I think they'll be blitzing again. I think Notre Dame uses their linebackers very well as blitzers this year. Bauer, White, and Owusu koromoa Um Drives me crazy when I see Hamilton coming after Rusu Kormoa because I just think you might want to have one 
all American, you know, somewhat containing something in the back end. But I know I, I think all in one little small segment you know, of the field. <laughs> one little area where if Trevor Lawrence moves out of the way, it's over. But, yeah, I, I, I they should have a string attached to them so they don't get yeah, too close. You see, they need to stay play at some levels. That's what Bob Yaku say, right? We like levels. Statman 72, the first Clemson game demonstrated the importance of shutting down a premier running back. Well, Clemson, what will Clemson do to shut down Kyron Williams? And what will Notre Dame do to counter that? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, maybe they, you know, more hats in a box and they approach it, the more run blitzes, they approach it the same way Notre Dame tried to do yeah. to their offense. And, you know, okay, let's see if Skoranek and McKinley and Davis can, can beat us. Yeah, no, I, I think they'll just play it straight up. Um, just with better players. And, uh, you know, as Davos Sweeney has mentioned multiple times, like how about we don't miss a run fit on the first play? Because um, that, you know, the odds of that happening two straight times are pretty low. Right. But every time I hear that after a game, I think to myself, people go crazy when Brian calls like, oh, we just missed a run fit. That's where the ADR touchdown came from. Yes, yeah. it was. That is exactly where it came from. Right. <laughs> that counts and, as well. And Nolan, <laughs> right. and Nolan, yeah, Nolan Turner missed the run fit because he's not good enough. Yes. I, now that's a, that is the point I was going to make. If that was Kyle Hamilton, that run fit turns into I'm a not saying game. no. I'm not saying Nolan Turner can't make plays because he no, makes a lot of, of plays. Yeah. yeah. I just yeah. wonder, I, I took that as like some, there was another missed fit somewhere. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sure they're like, like I, oh, hey, no, you're Ky- probably Kyron right. Williams versus Nolan Turner in the open field. I'm betting on Kyron Williams 100 yeah. times out of one. No, you're probably right. It would, yeah, Turner took a bad angle to it, yeah. but yeah. he didn't, he didn't get through the hole because of Turner. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who that was. Probably, you know, a, a one, one of the backup linebackers because the starters weren't. Could have been, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, Skowski won't miss that. He won't miss that run fit. No, or that is that Mike Mike Jones, right? Like their other the yeah. the Sam linebacker. I don't know if that would have been to his side or not, but we'll uh, I don't think so. Now that I'm trying to picture, but I'm not. It was positive. on the it was on the boundary. But yeah, yeah, he's kind of their run. he's kind of their rover, right? I mean, to, they don't be fair, the same. to be fair, Notre Dame will block you out of your gap once in a while too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, NJ Irish. How would you assess who won the matchup in game number one? We'll go one by one here, guys. Reese versus Venables. Reese, for sure. Yeah, certainly on the last drive of uh, certainly on the last drive of regulation and in overtime. Uh, I think Reese for sure because I put more on the players in the red zone failures than I do Reese. Like Michael Mayer jumping, Michael Mayer dropping the ball, book fumbling. Those are two. Yeah. Those are points that didn't happen. You know. That, well, that's... yeah, thirty-three points in regulation against Brent Venables. How often does that happen? With three massive mistakes in the red zone, like that's yeah. That just don't get made. Lee versus Elliot. I'd say it was closer to a draw. Because it was a long game. <laughs> I mean, it was a long game. I, I get that Uyunga Lale is super talented. He's also a freshman making his first start on the road. And Clemson scored 33 points in regulation. I don't, um, you know, in the same way, you're you're not probably going to bang on Reese for books fumble at the goal line. I, I, I would not give Lee credit for a Wusu Koromoa's. Yeah, that's a good point. Touchdown either. That's a good point. And then Lee versus Elliot or uh, uh, Kelly versus Sweeney. Who? Yeah, I mean Kelly because I think Clemson has more physical ability even without those guys. Not you know not not in a huge way or a huge margin, but like there was way more pressure on Notre Dame to win that game than Clemson, and I don't think Notre Dame played with a weight on its back the way that maybe you would have been concerned that they would have based on Brian Kelly's Monday press conference the week of that game. Yeah. I give, I give credit to Kelly in that one for, I mean, it's not like he murdered Dabo Sweeney in any way, shape or form, but he had his team completely prepared from the outset and they were so physical. He knew how they had to win and they won the exact way Brian Kelly envisioned they would win. So you Kelly there. they won all the peripherals, you know, third down and, uh, turnovers and special teams I said that a hundred times after the game and it was you know and that's where that's where you're encouraged that or it was more physical than them bodies on the floor yep yeah yeah I mean we saw bodies all over the field at the end of the game like we had pretty much have seen all 10 games but it's going to be equalized now with the guys that are coming back for for Clemson Dylan Murphy 02 does the coaching staff take a smaller role in national signing day since it is days away from the ACC championship game. Um, yeah, you would hope so, right? Like, and that 
all that would really mean to me, I would think was like, they're not going to have some signing day show on <laughs> UND.com um, to the extent that they have in the past because they have way more important things going on than yeah. like those awkward Zoom calls. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if, if not, I have a problem. <laughs> I will not. I am not entertaining the other side of this. <laughs> Hi, Coach Kelly. Congratulations yeah. on – you mean those calls? Go, go to school today? Cool. Um, well, I, you know, yes, it's going to be low key. It's going to be Kelly and Pullian on Wednesday. Right. We're going In to the have afternoon, those two. Too. And that'll right. be, and that, and that'll be it. The problem here though, is Clark Lee, this announcement coming before signing day. Yeah. You have to, there's some, some holes to patch here, probably in the recruiting oh, yeah. process, you know, to, to make sure that you don't lose anybody. And Prince Collie is, I mean, that's a, that's a, I'm not sure that I named somebody else at that. I mean, that's a concern, I think. Yeah, I, I, I checked in with Kali's sort of advisor coach today, and he's, I asked him, like, is he good with Notre Dame? And it was honestly, I'm not sure one way or the other. He's got some other things he has to deal with. Um, so it's it's a this very – it's probably worth taking a historical view of this. Very rarely when Notre Dame has had coaching turnover, have you seen them lose commitments because of it? It has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and look, Taylor Decker was one of those guys who would have been very valuable on Notre Dame's offensive line with Ronnie Stanley. But that's that was a super specific example of him staying in state with Ohio State and his, his position coach leaving for Ohio State. Like, I don't – I don't anticipate this being anything for Notre Dame, even though it could be a bit awkward the next 48 hours. Yeah. I think, I think Collie's the concern because a position he is ideally suited for that you have no 100% assurance will exist for the next three years now. And Notre Dame's defense. I mean, it probably will, but you know, let's, let's be fair. That's, that is a a unique position to Notre Dame over the last century. Um, and he could go play for Clark Lee. <laughs> so that, that is one that it's, just, it's some phone calls um, to answer the original question. What do the assistant coaches have to do? They're busy the next couple of nights. Wow. I had, I hadn't really, I mean, you think you'd go to Vandy? <laughs> you know, I would say stranger things would have, would occur than that. Like that, that would surprise me. But if you said Prince Collie flipped to Vanderbilt, uh, man, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I, I just can't believe that. Happened. Right. I, I would feel the same way to spend four years of his life with the guy he wanted, he committed to and wanted to play for. Yeah. A great school. But he was going to go to great school and he's going to go to great school anyway. Yeah, you know, that's in that's, state. That's um, I'm not predicting. That's true. He could, and he could enroll in Notre Dame and still play for Clark Lee. That's someday. true. Just take a red shirt. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just, just red shirt. Just hold on. <laughs> he, he could be back in a few years. Who knows? Uh, FL Irish 76. Does Clark Lee stay through the playoffs if he takes the Vandy job? That was, of course, he since has taken it. What realistic options are there to replace Clark Lee? Would love Marcus Freeman, but he might get a head coaching gig this year, too. I, I too, would love Marcus Freeman. I, I, to me, that would be sort of the home run out of the box hire for Brian Kelly. Um, he doesn't usually go for those kinds of hires. Uh, but that, that would be a call I would make. I would inquire to see how Mike Elko is doing at Texas A&M. Um, but ultimately, I think it's, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I think it's going to be some combination of Mike Elston and Terry Joseph getting sort of a co-promotion. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, that's what I guess now. Um, on Marcus Freeman and Jack Freeman, I'll be stepping on Monday Musings again shortly coming out, so no one has to read it. Um, he did tell uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer when he, he kind of turned down Mel Tucker, who he played for at Ohio State, to come to uh, Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, my goal is to be a head coach, and I don't believe leaving Cincinnati for Michigan State helps me achieve that goal. It would help a little bit at Notre yeah, Dame, it would help more so than Michigan State. But, I mean, it's not like he looked poorly upon Michigan State. They've only been bad for a couple of years, you know. Um, yeah. It would help Notre Dame. It would help him at Notre Dame, of course. But. Salary says six hundred thousand. Uh, part of it was uh, privately funded, apparently. So it wasn't all from Cincinnati. Like they got about a hundred seventy-five to hundred thousand dollar privately funded bonus for the year. Um, I mean, Notre Dame can do that. Six hundred thousand. Yeah, I looked at that, and that's something like sixty-fifth 
in the nation among assistant head coaches, or it was last year. I they obviously don't have the numbers for this year. Well, if it's not Mike Elston this time, yeah. I think that there's a good chance that Mike Elston moves on from this situation. Do you guys agree with that? Uh, I don't. I, I just I don't, I don't think that he is Jones in to leave Notre Dame. I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's Jones in to leave, but if you well, uh, uh, especially if you pass over him and hire, if you were to choose Terry Joseph as the coordinator. Or, I mean, in the case of Marcus Freeman, is 34 years old. I know he's established uh, as, as a coordinator. But, uh, you know, another name, um, Seth Wallace out of Iowa. He is a – he's the oh, assistant yeah, coordinator at Iowa. Now, there's a little bit of uh, baggage there because his name came up with all the uproar with their strength and conditioning coach over the summer or spring or whenever that was. Those months all run together. Um, I don't know if that's an issue. Um, Brian Kelly liked John Haycock at, uh, at Iowa State, but he's 60 years old. Um, I don't know that he would go in that direction. I'm just throwing this name out there. I have n- nothing to base it upon, but I think Tony White at Syracuse, once he teaches those guys how to keep people off the scoreboard a little bit better, you know, I, I, thought, I thought that was a pretty impressive defensive effort made by them a couple weeks ago. Maybe he could be uh, Clark Lee's defensive coordinator for Notre Dame in four years. Well, that, that would that would probably be more certainly more likely. But uh, you know, and, and I know I know people love a, a list with sparkling, you know, well-known names on it. But he may just and Pete, you you suspect that he's going to stay in house. Yeah, I do. Um... I think that's the most likely outcome. I mean, I, I do I do too. I don't know if it's like fifty-five percent or sixty percent to yeah, I don't know the why. rest, but but um, it's like I, I would hope that he would at least call Mike Elko and call Marcus Freeman and sort of see all right, where's your head at? And if there's interest, if they want to do something like that, which would take and you know, O'Malley makes the a great point. And that's I talked to Marcus Freeman for a story on Mike Mickens, and he sort of said the same thing to me, like you know, my goal is to be a head coach. And he was talking to Mickens about like, if your goal is to be a defense coordinator, staying at Cincinnati probably will get you there faster than leaving. Um, but he said Mickens' head was was somewhere else. Uh, with Elko, I, people might be surprised that Kelly and Elko have a good relationship, but they do. Um, and unlike some of the previous DC moves where you're going Diaco to Van Gorder or Van Gorder to Elston, or uh, I'm sorry, Van Gorder to Elko, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Like you've got the scheme that works and you've recruited for it for four years. So this isn't like a four, three, three, four, let, or let's scrap the Rover position. Um, I think you're trying to find something that fits kind of with what you're already doing. I don't know why you guys have been saying all these names. We just has to walk across the field and talk to Brent Venables and ask him if he wants to come coordinate Notre Dame's defense. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, this is Notre Dame. Just write the blank check. Right, Tim. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Blank Pete check. Mentioned, Pete yeah, mentioned yeah. Dave Aranda. What, you already mentioned that guy. Let's go. Sign it up. Man. You think after a year at Baylor, it's like, ah, this isn't for me. <laughs> it's probably, actually. All right, we could probably skip Subfan because he asked about Elko unless, Pete and Tim, you want to put a fight. Well, yeah, the question from Subfan is if Mike Elko calls Brian Kelly and begs for his old job back, does Kelly take him back? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. But, I, I mean, I think that would be much more of Brian Kelly calls, calls Mike Elko and be like, you like uh, how's College Station going? You like it down there? Well, so what? They're going to pay him like A and M pays him. Why not? I mean, well, uh, yeah, you know, blank check. Blank right? check. God, you man, <laughs> you do such a great job of spending Nordings <laughs> money that I'm going to put you in touch with Jack Swarbrick and would, see how look, much money he lets say, you spend. I mean, that, that's I would just say like you would call it and be like, hey. Here's what we're offering. Are you interested? If you're not, okay. I'm not going to like try to convince you to come, but uh, you know, I, look, I'm sure that you guys have talked to people around Notre Dame too. Like Mike Elko's situation at AM, well, they were really good this year. And maybe that will change things then from where it was a year ago. But it wasn't like he was like, I love College Station and working here. It is great um, that he was a much better fit at Notre Dame than he is at Texas AM. I do think to put a finer point on the money when we're saying Mike Elko money, and I just said Marcus Freeman makes six hundred thousand. <laughs> you make a phone yeah. call to Marcus Freeman at this point. Yeah. He makes six hundred thousand a year, okay? Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a quarterly 
quarterly payment. Quarterly payments, yes. So to to alcohol. Call your old, call your old yeah. hometown, Brian. That's what he makes by the end of March. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tcat ND ninety one saw an ESPN graphic saying USC has a fifty percent chance of making the college football playoff, assuming Notre Dame defeats Clemson a second time. What do you think of a potential Irish Trojan matchup, especially if Ohio State plays down to Northwestern's level? I like it more than a potential Irish Crimson Tide matchup the first round. I can speak uh, eloquently on that. I do not pr- – I'd prefer to play USC in the first round. How about you, Pete? USC or Bama? Who do you think you want to play Ooh. in the first round if you're Notre Dame fan? I don't know. I haven't done any research on this, Tim. Well, I was I was high on USC going into this year uh, when all things were on the schedule, but <laughs> – Roll it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would I would take that matchup every time. I don't think that they have a chance whatsoever. They do not deserve to be in, in the playoffs. I, look, wins are wins in college football. It's hard to win, right? It's hard to win. But they're they're very fortunate they're undefe- they are undefeated at this time. And I did think they were going to have a really, really good year before the pandemic and everything they hit. I thought they were loaded talent-wise, but man, they don't, they do not maximize their talent there. They don't even come close to maximizing their talent and they're undefeated now. Just barely, just barely undefeated. The real Wenzel, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson, they are most likely the fourth seed and taking on Alabama. Is there any chance they would only fall to third and set up a third meeting with Clemson? So that would mean that you would play Notre Dame and Clemson would play back to back and they would play for the third time in six games. I really think that the playoff committee goes, yeah, goes into this saying, we need to, we need to avoid that as, at, at all costs. So you would need Ohio state. Okay. So Notre Dame has to be third instead of fourth. You would need Ohio state not to make it, or you would need someone to say Ohio state doesn't deserve to be over Notre Dame because they have six wins. <laughs> That's a tough one. I, I'm going to say this, and I hope it doesn't get me laughed off this podcast, but I'd rather see Notre Dame play Alabama than Clemson a third time. <laughs> no, that's a good point. You're, you're absolutely – I see, we see what you're saying. <laughs> you, have, you have to do it anyway. You're right. You have to play – if you're Notre Dame fan, you're going to play Alabama anyway. It's not yeah. – Yeah, you just – you'd like to lose to them in a national championship as opposed to semifinal. Sure. sure. And you'd like to think that the one team that could get them um, is going to make everybody mad is Ohio State because they could play really yeah. well that day. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the playoff game. I don't know if you guys feel so. Like the, the game I want to see, I want to see Notre Dame and Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. That's what I want to see. I agree. Whatever it takes to make that happen, great. Let's do it. You just want to be. You just want to be there. I uh, we, we got to get to MB MB Post Manhattan Beach. Let's do it. Since we missed it on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Well, the two the two spots for Irish Illustrated are looking pretty grim. <laughs> Might not be for the playoffs. You never know. That's true. Uh, Ty in Cleveland asks, any chance the college football playoff committee views the ACC championship game as a, quote, playoff game, and the winner is in and the loser is out? I don't think this year there's much sense in Notre Dame not making it if they lose the game. Um, You could probably find some years where this would be a really tenuous position for Notre Dame if they lost to Clemson by two touchdowns. Yep. Uh, They lose by two Clemson, two touchdowns, they play Alabama is how I look at this one. Don't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I feel like ten. I don't. A ten point margin would make me feel super comfortable if I was Notre Dame. Anything more than that, I think you start to be like, mm. but yeah, for, I mean, but it's probably got to go beyond two touchdowns, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, unlike unlike AP voters watching every game, that's a joke. Um, yes. The college football playoff committee is going to watch the game. And if Notre Dame yeah. loses to Clemson 35 to 21 because there's an interception touchdown in the fourth quarter, they didn't lose to Clemson 35. Right. Yeah. I so totally agree. I mean, the, the college football playoff committee's edict is not to look at this like it's a playoff game. I mean, that's a, you're, you're creating criteria that doesn't really exist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah you're right. That is not there. So I don't think that that is what's going to happen. And we'll wrap it up with a question from Kaiser Wilhelm. And that is, if Notre Dame manages to win the national title in 2020, do you think it would expedite, delay, or have no effect on Brian Kelly's retirement? And we should note that he signed a contract extension, which carries him through 2024. 
Um, it would have no effect on it for 2021. Um, I think it might have an effect on it in 2024 where he would be satisfied with his Notre Dame tenure and be like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to call it, hang it up and move on to something else. Like there wouldn't be that, like, I'm still trying to climb this historic epic mountain, um, that's happening right now. So I think, it, I think it would have an impact, but it just, if, if the subtext of this question is like, could you still get Clark Lee to come back? Like, I don't think it would happen like that. So it would expedite it, but not expeditiously, right? There's yeah. a, it would, it would expedite it, but not in 2021. I, yeah. I agree with you. Um, yeah, because at some point, if he wins a national title by going through Clemson, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, or whatever he does, I have told you guys that if I were Brian Kelly, how I would walk out of South Bend. Yeah. Two guns, two guns blazing, and it would be sooner than 2024. So, Pete, the way you described it is exactly the way I look at it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't impact next year, but in 2024, you know, I had a recent uh, interview with a couple recent interviews with, with Jack Swarbrick, and he said, you know, he wasn't a big fan of the coach in waiting as long as there was still a long time left on the contract of the current head coach. And with it being through 2024, he's not completely certain that at the end of 2024, Brian Kelly's going to retire. So I, I agree completely. It doesn't impact next year, but if they won the national title now, it could certainly impact the way he looks at the job at the end of the 2024 season. It's just such a, I mean, considering he rebuilt them, it's such a career crowning achievement from four and eight to it would be, 45 and six in a national title after that. That's yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that would be absurd. That's absurd. Yeah. And he's, he's 59 years old. He's not going to win a national title and walk away from this. Right. No, we're not saying no matter what. No, I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm just, I, and I'm not sure the exact intention of the question, but it wouldn't, he can't, he can't win a national title, walk out and then Clark Lee just, Oh, I'm going to go ahead and stay. It's not going to work. It's happened before. It (laughs) has. up Manny Diaz yeah but it's not it's not gonna happen coach at Temple for two weeks okay well further talk on Clark Lee moving forward here this week as if we don't have enough to concern ourselves with with the signing day and the ACC championship on Saturday but uh, that's where we are we'll deal with it and we'll be back on Thursday Tim I was wondering if in light of all the news that's going on if my ranking, my recruits, if you agree with my Josh Bryan ranking, Tim, does it matter as much as it used to? Getting that to you on Monday morning? Or uh, are we all set here? <laughs> I think I think kickers belong at the back of the pack. Fair or not, that's just the way it is. We'll have ranking recruits on Wednesday. Uh, but until then, until Thursday, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.